Welcome. Thank you for joining us for this episode from Avondale Baptist Church. We are so happy to be sharing the Word of God with you and hope that this message is a blessing to you. And now, here's Brother Richard. Amen, amen. Oh, that was just such a powerful uh, worship. And I just praise God for just allowing us to have a place where we could worship freely. You know, it doesn't matter what we've been through or gone through or the things that we've done or said or the circumstances that we're in. I want you to know that you are loved. Jesus loves you and he loves me. God is so good. Kingdom Come is the ending of this series and it's all about how we can experience heaven here on earth. And so we're going to end this series with living a life of extravagant generosity allows us to experience heaven here on earth. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And before we go there or while you're going there, I'm going to tell you a little story that has happened uh, to me this week. We were going to Abilene uh, uh, to go pick up backpack buddies uh, there at the food bank there in Abilene and and uh, got in the truck and we were taking off. And, you know, I don't know on your car, but in my car, it has this little, it has a computer system and, and it lets me know the, the life of the oil, right? And, and it's at 89% life and 75%. And I was like, oh, I got plenty of time. And it's at 50%. And, and by this time, Becky's already warning me, hey, you need to change the oil and truck. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's 50% life. It could wait. And then the 50% came to 25% life. And then next thing you know, it was at 0% life. <laughs> and, and Becky was like, or months have already passed. And, and she's like, Richard, you need to change the oil in the truck. Yeah, I got it. No problem. That's, man, it's, 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 it's a Chevy. It's built tough, right? Is that the right model? <laughs> but it is like, and so just went on and went on of that. And it was zero uh life for a long time so my oil life was zero for a good while and with of course you know when we get in the truck and and we take off to abilene guess what the engine is on now and i'm like "Uh oh the engine light is on becky said did you change the oil no but it's okay though it's okay it's I looked at my sticker and and I just barely got it in in September. So we're not we're not too we're not too bad, you know. September is when we uh, got the last oil change in September, October, November, December, and January. You know, it's four months. It ain't too bad, you know. And and so and then I noticed on my oil pressure gauge was zero. And I really started freaking out. And we were getting uh, heading to Abilene outside of Sweetwater, and I was like, we can't drive like this. We just can't drive like this. And all this time, Bay's like, mm-hmm, needed you to change the oil. I know, but it's not the oil. It's something else. You know, I'm over here making excuses. You know, it's something else. It's not the oil. It's, it's something else. It's just, you know, it's probably electri- electrical something, you know. And, and I said, you know what? I need to go. 
I'm going to turn back around. We're going to go to Riley's, and I'm going to check the oil and all that. And it has to have oil. My truck don't leak oil, right? I didn't, I didn't see any um, evidence of any oil leak, you know. And so I was telling Becky, Becky, you, you know, because she was talking about it. it probably leaked oil. Probably don't have any oil. And I was like, no, nah, it don't leak oil. You know, my, nah, my truck don't leak oil, you know, and all this other stuff. And, and uh, I was, went over there to O'Reilly's, and I checked the dipstick, and I was like, man. Well, I was told that when you check the oil, you shouldn't check it after you've been running it because you got to give time for the oil to set. And so I was thinking, you know what, we've been running it all morning and stuff, you know, back and forth. And, and so maybe it's not reading the oil. And so uh, that's why. So we're going to wait a little bit. And Becky's in the truck waiting on me out of the hood open. And I was like, man, Lord, please let there be oil in my truck. <laughs> get the dipstick, put it back in there, and I'm like, man, I'm wiping it off. You know, I'm not a mechanic. I don't know my, I barely know the basics. And so I'm you know, in there looking at it, and I'm like, man, there's got to be oil somewhere in here, you know, and five minutes, ten minutes, and still nothing. And so I go in the O'Reilly's to act like, you know, I know what I'm doing. And I say, yeah, I just need to get some oil for, for my truck. just going to top it off, you know, and, and uh, you know, and, and by, you know, I just... You know, was, do I need one quart, two quarts? Well, I don't know, really. I think, it's, I think it takes seven quarts. You know, I was thinking in my mind, I'm just going to buy one big jug of five quarts. And I come in there and buy it. I was like, you know, I'm going to go put some oil in there. So I put some oil in there, just quart at a time, you know, because I don't want to overfill it because I heard that if you overfill it, that could be bad too. And so I want to be careful. And I'm moving it and put one quart, nothing, nothing reads. And I was like, man, am I putting it in the right spot? You know, hopefully I'm not putting it where the transmission needs to go, you know. So I'm, I'm over here freaking out, and I'm going. I was like, man, we have to go to Abilene. Of course, we're on a tight schedule and because, you know, we wait to the last minute to take care of things, you know, procrastinating. Do any of you have that kind of a problem? And I'm just there, and two courts goes down, three courts goes down, four courts goes down. And I was like, finally, it reads just the tip of the dipstick. I went ahead and put the rest of the all five quarts, and it read a little bit, and I was like, man, what do I do? I was like, well, it got oil in there now, so so we go, and I start it up. It's running good, you know, as far, but the oil pressure still doesn't work. The engine light is still on, and I was like, man, we got to go to Abilene. I was like, Lord, man, I, we just started... Anoint, not only just having uh, the spirit anointing my truck, but I had anointed with some oil, oil. And, and I was just praying. Like <laughs> I started telling Becky on the way up there, Google, you know, how long can we drive with the, uh, the, the pump, you know, gauge showing zero? I was like, I'm, this is all Holy Spirit led, you know. And, and then we started thinking, you know what? It's my fault. You know, I should have taken care of it. I should have listened to my wife. I, I should have. Done it, right? Amen. The wife says, Amen. So I started repenting. And I was like, Lord, it's nobody else's fault but mine. You've blessed me with nice things. You've blessed me with this truck, and I don't take care of it. And I'm starting to realize, and I realized, especially this week, that everything that I have belongs to the Lord. Everything. Everything. Owners of nothing 
but stewards of everything. And so I just started repenting and telling God, God, I'm sorry for not taking care of the things that you have allowed me to steward. And my truck was one of them. And so I was praying. And at that time, I was asking Becky, what did you find out in Google? And, and they were like, well, when your oil pressure reached zero, it's pretty much too late for your car. And I'm like, well, great, you know. And, and I'm over here thinking of, man, should we just go to the Chevy house and just go trade it real quick, you know. But I can't because we got backpack buddies and we got to be back by a certain time. And all these things were happening. And, and we just went to Abilene and came back and we took care of business. And I went to O'Reilly's and I told them, hey, can you, my check engine light comes on. And I said, I have no idea what's going on. I just, it just, it just came on. And so, oh, oh, and by the way, we ended up getting an oil change there in Abilene. And so... Let me just tell you how the enemy works. I'm telling you this whole story because there's a point to this that's going to put everything together. We go to Walmart. That's where I get my oil changed. Some of you may disagree or think that I shouldn't be doing that, but I went to Walmart. They took care of it. The engine light was still not on. I mean, the engine, the engine light was on and the oil pressure was still reading zero. I said, hey, shows on paper that you checked my oil pressure, but my oil pressure gauge is, is reading zero. What? Oh, yeah, we, we checked it. We checked it. I said, oh, thank you, God. I'm, now I'm going to get my truck paid for because they ruined my truck. I was thinking that way. No joke. I said, hey, you know, you know, you I don't know what happened. You know, you should have checked the oil pressure on your paperwork, but... God convicted me really quick that, no, nope, don't even go there. Don't even go there. Don't even go there. So we get in the truck and we take off and go to O'Reilly's. And, and uh, they have this, this computer system now that they hook up to your car and it tells you what's wrong and, and all this. And, and so <clears throat> I go in there and I tell them, hook it up. And, and they look at it. They hook it up and everything. And they're like, well, your old pressure sensor switches out. And I said, Really? That's really what's wrong with it. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I was like, all right, well, you think y'all got one here? He's like, yeah, yeah, we got, we got one in stock. And well, how much is it going to cost? You know, I don't know. Uh, and it was like 80 bucks. All right, yeah. And I went, well, hold on. Let me, let me make sure that uh, I could put this in first, you know. And so I started YouTubing it and seeing, okay, yeah, that looks simple. Yeah, I could do that. So I get that and I go home and, and I spend four hours trying to take this little sensor off. Four hours trying to take this sensor off. I'm getting mad. An hour rolls by. I have to stop. I go, I go back inside the house, play on my phone, watch a little TV, take a breather. Then I go back, try it again. Just couldn't. I was just, you know, I'm a big boy. I can't even fit under that hood. And my hands are all big. And I'm over here twisting and, you know, just again, just again, you know, I call my buddy up that's a mechanic. He doesn't answer his phone. I finally give up and... Just give up for that day. And then yesterday, my friend that I work with, he's a mechanic. He helped me put it in. Didn't take long at all. But I say all that because each and every one of us has a spiritual check engine light that comes on. When things are not going the way it should. 
whatever that engine light may look in your life, but we do all have a spiritual engine light. And too many times we ignore that spiritual engine light in our lives. And by the time we know it, we're so deep in sin, we're so far from God, that our engine's blowing up. Our engine is blowing up, our spiritual engine. What happens to, a, to an engine that, that you run with no oil? It heats and it blows up, it locks, can't go anywhere. You pretty much need a whole new engine. And I believe that in so many times in a Christian life, in a believer's life, one of the spiritual engine light that comes on is when it comes to giving. When it comes to generosity, when it comes to tithing, when it comes to offerings. Because let's face it, money, money is what gets the gears rolling, right? It's what pays our bills, it's what puts food on the table, it's what puts a roof over our head, it's what takes us to work. It's the whole reason why we work is for money. Now, I have to be honest, if you're visiting with us for the very first time, this is my first time ever talking and preaching on money. The three years that I've been here. It's taken me three years to learn how important it is to be good stewards of our money. And God has blessed us in so many ways as the church and as individuals. I had a friend that was talking to me yesterday and asking me about my sermon and, and, you know, what am I going to be preaching on? And I told him and he's like, man, he says, every time I go to church, every time I visit a church, it seems like that's all they talk about is money, money, money. Seems like that's all the church cares about is money, money, money. I said, man, I'm sorry. Maybe you should go to church more often so you could know that it's not what it's all about. But but it is. When we start talking about money and we start talking about and the Holy Spirit starts convicting you on your budget and your finances, we start getting uncomfortable. And so I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, but I want us to grow from this, and I want to share what I've learned, what my family has learned when it comes to dealing with money. And it actually has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with the heart. It has everything to do with the heart. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And Paul has been working on on helping the other churches in Macedonia uh, financially. And so he's asking other churches to help with the finances. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren... We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, 
the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it so that there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has. And not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But by the equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack. That their abundance also may supply your lack. That there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over And he who gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you and love you. Because as we talk about being an extravagant, generous people. When we talk about being a extravagant, generous church. Father God, I pray that we look towards you. How you are extravagant, generous to us so much that your only son died on the cross. That is the example of extravagant generosity. Even though we deserve death, your son, Jesus, died for our place. So, Father God, I pray that you would guard my my tongue and that the words that are coming out of my lips, they're not my words, but they're your words. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. After doing some research and studying, 
I'm learning in my own life that there is three steps that we have to take in order to get to the point where we want to be in that extravagant, generous person. And I believe that sometimes we get the first two steps mixed up. And sometimes we may even add another step. But there's, there's tithing, there's offerings, and then there's extravagant generosity. Extravagant giving. See, extravagant, extravagant giving will exceed what is expected. It will exceed what is expected. Zacchaeus was an extravagant giver. When he had an encounter with Christ, he, it changed his life so much that he's been robbing people from their taxes that he wanted to make things right. And so what did he say? He says that he was going to give it. Everything that he stole from people, that he's going to give it back. He wanted to make things right. But then he went further and beyond. And he says, you know what? Everything that I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell half of it and give it half away to the people that I cheated. Acts 2, the New Testament church in Acts 2, verse 44 through 45. We see that, that the church was willing to sell everything for the gospel. That every need would be met. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. Luke 21, we know by the widow's might, she gave all that she had. She gave all that she had. And in that time, and even our time, it wasn't much. But even just a little, if it's all that you have, it's a lot. John Chapter 12, where Mary is pouring the perfume on Jesus' feet. Right? We know that it was like a year, that perfume was worth like a year's worth of wages. And she's there worshiping Jesus and washing his feet with this high dollar perfume. You remember who gripes about that? Judas. You know why he was griping about that? Because he was in charge of the money box. He was so much what you call the treasurer. So he always had money on his mind. And we know what happened. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss for some money. So, of course, he's going to think the price. That's an example of extravagant generosity, extravagant giving, crazy generosity, crazy giving. And as I was reading, as I've been studying and just learning about this, that's who I want to become more like. How? How can we, how can I, Lord, be this kind of a giver? You're like, well, first of all, Richard, Do you tithe? 
Because how do you expect to go over and beyond in your giving when you don't even give what you're supposed to give to your church? Ooh. But it's okay. God's going to make it work. I repented and God makes it work and he, whew, he's done some amazing things. But it is. It's true that in the church, only 75 to 95 percent don't tithe. That's crazy, because when you know, when you get more involved in church, you see the, the, the background of how a church is run. And that's what's amazing is that when I had my encounter with Christ and, and started, was a new believer, I had no idea how a church operated. Had no idea about the business meetings. Had no, when I, I remember my first business meeting. It had everything. I was like, oh my gosh, should we be knowing all this stuff? Like, this is personal stuff for the church. Should I be knowing where the money goes and this and that? And then I started learning that it is important. It is important. And that my contributions is important to the kingdom of God, but also to his church. The church that he called me to be at. And so I would like to say, think that the first step to be able to take on your way to be an extravagant giver is to start with what God tells us. And we're going to go deeper in that in the next couple of weeks. But he calls for us for our 10%. And it doesn't have to be the 10%. It could be more. I was talking to, to my son the other day, and he was so excited. He's like, Dad, you know what? I realized... That we don't have to stop at 10%. You know, we could give more. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I failed as a father. I didn't, I didn't let him know that. But as things were happening and as we were growing in Christ, me and my wife, we, we, we always made excuses. Well, I give my time. Oh, I give this food or I donate this or I donate that. And that's part of tithe. But all in all, I was still making excuses. See, I want you to know it's not about the money, but it's about the heart. And when I realized that everything that he's done for me and everything that he has given me don't belong to me. I'm owners of nothing but stewards of everything. And that is the same for all of us. It's all the same for all of us. And see, this is what Paul is, is talking about. He's talking about the churches of, of Macedonia. He was telling them how these churches were great examples of generosity. And he was sharing this with the church of, of Corinth to motivate them to go over and beyond. He wasn't telling them this so in hopes that he would get more money. He was just telling them to motivate them to understand what God has done to, for us and through us and to us does not compare to all the things that we have or we own. And he's telling the church, he said, let's go over and beyond. And maybe that's you this morning is, is let's start right there with your tithe. I, I don't want you to feel bad. Oh, I don't give 10%. Give something. Start there. That's how we started. Man, we dedicated a certain amount. 
And it could be something as simple as $20. But I tell you what, if I was, as long as I was faithful in those $20, God was faithful. God is faithful. Man, he's so good. He is so faithful, even with our little that we are willing to give. But he just wants that commitment. He wants that commitment. And Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. This is what it says. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, for now on, you shall have wars. The NIV version, it says, For the eyes of the, of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Are we, are you, am I fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we? And He says, You have done foolish things. And from now on, you will be at war. Man, there's some of us that have been in battles for years and we just can't seem to, we just cannot seem to get it right. Why is it, Lord? Well, let me ask you this. How committed are you to him? How committed are you to him, church? He wants that commitment. And see, I want you to understand that we give our first We give our first fruits. We give that tithe. Why? It's not for God's benefit. Oh, God don't need our money. No. Tithing helps us, helps you, helps the local church to actively be the church by helping others. By helping others. It's not that he helps us He helps the local church to to actively help within the church. No, it's to help others. It's an outward looking way of thinking. It's the outward. It's outreach. It's looking out beside outside of these walls. That's what it's about. It's not about the money. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. Just give. Just give and become a giver. It's about changing your spirit. It's about being obedient. It's about being obedient and allowing your commitment. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to do some amazing things in your life. The next step is offering. And we see this and we have this love offering. And it's actually over and beyond of of what you've already given. But I believe there's another part of offering which is called emotional offering. And I think that's below our tithe. Emotional offering, emotional giving is basically that we give on our terms. And we give how much on our terms. It's when we hear 
a, a, a story or we hear, uh, we see a commercial of, of the dogs, you know, of the rescue the animals and they play that sad song and you have the dog there with, that looks with the saddy face and you could adopt this dog for $20 a month for the next 32 years. And guess what? We do it. Why? Because it's emotional. It's, it's the spur of the moment. Your heartstrings are, are, are playing and your emotions are running high. You're like, I'm going to do that. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a start. But the love offering that I am talking about, it's anything extra that you give beyond. Anything extra that you give beyond. And see, in verse 2, we see that the churches experience adversity. They experience adversity through hardship, yet they still display generosity for the sake of others. Extravagant generosity, it's spirit-led. It is spirit-led. It's when the Spirit and the Holy Spirit is talking to you, you say, you should do this for this person. Do it. It's not, I'm going to come back and analyze my account, I'm going to come back and just make sure that this person is even living right Maybe I, before I bless them. No, he says, you do it. You bless that person right there, right now. And we've been on both ends of that as a church and as a family. We have been blessed, and we have been blessed to bless others. And this is what the church is experiencing, and this is what Paul is telling the church Look, even these churches gave so much, even though they're going through some hard times, even though these are some poor people, they are still going over and beyond. Why? Because the church gave willingly and sacrificially. Because why? Because they were listening to the will of God. They are listening to the will of God. They gave according to God's authority. Man. How I just want to be an extravagant giver. But sometimes, and a lot of times in the churches, we miss so much because we're missing out on this part. We're missing out on this part and being generous. Have you ever met somebody that was so giving? Have you ever met somebody who just tends to pay for somebody's meal every time y'all go out or pay for somebody's gas or pays for somebody's electric bill without anything in return, expecting anything in return? See, that's what it's about. When you become a generous giver, you, you give without expecting anything back. Why? Because you know that the Lord is going to take care of you. The Lord is going to take care of you. Write this verse down, Malachi chapter 3, in verse 6. This is what the Lord says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Okay? The Lord does not change, right? The Lord is still the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? He does not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. 
He's saying, return to me. He's telling his people, come back to me. And he says, I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. And the Lord says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? Not your bank account. Not your home. Not your, it's the church house. The storehouse. Why? That there may be food in my house. And in the New King James Version, it says, and try me now in this. In other versions, he says, test me in this. Did you know this is the only scripture in the Bible that God says, test me? When it comes to tithing, when it comes to offering, he says, test me. Right? Why is he testing me? Why? Says the Lord of hosts. He says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Woo-wee, that right there just brings confidence. That right there just, it's amazing knowing that we don't have to worry about it. Why? Because his word says he's going to take care of us. He's going to, everything's going to be all right. All he wants is what? Second Chronicles 16, commitment. He wants us to be committed. He wants us to be committed to him. He wants us to be committed to the church. The commitment. And he says, test me. When I learned that, oh, I tested him. I've tested him. Time and time again. And he has come through every single day. Amen. And I don't want what I am experiencing and what I know talking to other people experiencing. You can have that same experience. But it's the matter of the heart. It's the matter of the heart. In order for us to get where we need to be. What's the matter of the heart? What can we do to get to that point? quite simple Ephesians chapter 2 Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 this is what it says it says that but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us which he loved me even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding reaches of, reach, riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are what? His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. See, we were created for good works. That means we have to put work in it, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with him. John chapter 12, why did Mary spend a year's worth of wages on washing Jesus' feet? You know why? Because she just encountered a miracle. She witnessed Lazarus being raised from the dead. She witnessed Lazarus being raised from the dead. How many days was he dead? Four. Four days he was dead. She witnessed the power. She witnessed Jesus raising. Do you not get what I'm saying? That's exactly us, church. We've been raised from the dead because of what Christ has done on the cross. We have that same power. We have that encountered that same miracle. And so we what when we realize that, that we have been saved by grace through faith, not by our own doing, but it was by the work of God, by the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Man, that really opens the doors and it makes you realize that you owe him everything. So it wouldn't bother you to waste a year's wages of perfume on washing his feet. Because you've witnessed him. Oh, and I know, I know, I know that you in this church have witnessed the power of Jesus. I know that we've had sick ones, uh, family members in the church that were on ventilators. We know that they've been healed. We know that we know that uh, people's relationships have been rebuilt because of the power of God. That's even much more to be excited because we witness it. We are witnesses of the power of Jesus for the advancement of his kingdom. We are witnesses, church. And that is what excites us. That's what excites me. We are owners of nothing but stewards of everything, even our lives, even our lives. See, I like... Paul says in verse 8. Can you bring up verse 8, Stephen? I speak not by commandment. See, what he's saying is, I'm not telling you, I'm not commanding you to do this. He's not commanding them to give more. He's not commanding the Corinthians to give. Why? Because he would take away the opportunity for them to express generosity. See, it's about the heart. We do the things what we do because of love. That's how we become an extravagant generous, giving person. See, God's 
delight in those who give with the right attitude. He knows our hearts. He knows that I'm going to give so I could get back seven folds. No. You give because you realize that you are owners of nothing without expecting anything back. Where are you at? Where are you at with your walk with Christ? If you are a seasoned believer and, and maybe that's something that you struggled with and you look back and you say, you know what, I haven't been committed There is no better time to repent and get back on track than today. As Gary gets up and prepares to play, just like that oil engine light telling me the the life expectancy of my oil, and I just kept on ignoring it and kept on ignoring it. And I ignored it long enough where it was down to 0%. Then I just kept on ignoring it, kept on ignoring until the engine light came on. Then I realized it's serious. But then when my gauge read zero, I knew something needed to be done. Let me ask you this. Is your engine light on in your spiritual life? Is God warning you? Hey, come on. Let's get it. Let's get it together. Let's make that commitment. I want your heart. I want your heart because remember, it's not about money. If, if all you took from this message that it was about money, you missed it. You've missed it. It's about our heart. And if we allow God to work in our hearts and everything that we own, because why? Because we don't own anything. We're owners of nothing but stewards of everything. We don't have a problem. And I just remembered, man, I had a really good illustration. I was going to give Todd a $100 bill before church service. And I was going to tell him, Todd, when I, I'm going to give you this $100 And there's going to be a time in my sermon that I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask, hey, does anybody here have $100 that I could have? And Todd, I want you, without any hesitation, you get up and say, Richard, I got $100 right here. And he's going to give it to me. And you're going to be like, whoa, whoa, Todd, man, they must be really good friends for Todd just to give Pastor $100 like that, right? And if Mindy was here, she'd probably be like, where did that $100 come from? And why are you giving it away? You know, so many things. But at the end of the day, at the end of the sermon, he didn't have a problem giving me the $100 because he knew it didn't belong to him. He knew it didn't belong to him. And that's how it is with our Lord. That is how it is with our Lord. When we realize it don't belong to us and we're just giving it back to him. Thank you. He gave me $100. Generous, extravagant generosity. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask Gary to play. And I'm going to just ask you to sit there. It's going to take about 30 seconds.
Because church, I could tell you story after story after story of God blessing us. God has been blessing us so much and in so many ways. Thank you, Father God, for this wonderful message. We pray that it has been a comfort and a blessing to our listeners. Thank you for taking the time to join us here at Avondale Baptist Church. Until we see you again, always remember, Jesus loves you.